Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. There is a misconception in our industry that quality and regulations can stifle innovation. What we've seen recently is that regulators are helping to pave the way for increased creativity in clinical trial designs. And yet, there are still questions on whether innovation and quality can truly coexist in clinical trials. Today's episode aims to tackle the why behind quality, because the answer to that key question brings light to this important issue as clinical trial complexity continues to rise. I'm your host, Kathleen Grino, Senior Director of Client Solutions at 4G, and joining me today, we have my colleague, Laura Rujo, Vice President of Quality here at 4G Clinical. Laura, thank you for joining us today. Hello, Kathleen. <laughs> Thanks for joining. So I already know you pretty well. We've been friends for a long time now. But for those listening, can you give us a quick rundown of your start in the pharma industry and how you've made it into quality? Yeah, I actually did not start in the pharma industry. I actually started in um, the Department of Defense. And I was a developer right out of undergrad school. And in the course of working on some large-scale development projects, I started questioning a lot of things like why were certain things happening at certain times and why were we following this rigorous schedule but making exceptions to certain things and at the time vice president of quality walked up to me and said you know you're not a developer you're a quality person and so i transitioned over to quality at the time software quality testing and from there eventually found my way to pharma the pharmaceutical industry and i've been in quality ever since and software quality, quality systems, quality implementation. That's excellent. You know, when I think of quality, I wouldn't have ever come out of college and said, oh, I want to go into quality. So, you know, the reputation that quality often has is that it's enforcers, that they're the policing you, making sure that you follow these things and you don't really understand why you're doing them. Why do you think that they have this reputation, that the quality department has this reputation of being the enforcer? Yeah, it's one of the things that really makes me a little bit crazy in this industry in particular, that they're sort of seen as police officers or enforcers. And I think that's because people are so dedicated to complying with regulations that they've sort of put on this organization called Quality the responsibility for making sure that all your I's are dotted and all your T's are crossed in terms of compliance with regulations in this very heavily regulated industry. And sometimes complying with regulations might come across as making decisions that are difficult, and so they sort of lean on Quality to make those decisions. But in the end, quality is not making these decisions, right? There are regulations in place for a reason. And that is primarily, first and foremost, the protection of subjects in human clinical trials. And quality just understands why these regulations are put in place. They have experience dealing with all of the various issues that can come up. And so somehow they take on this role as the enforcer when really they're just trying to keep everybody safe. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. So if you're trying to explain to somebody, why are we a partner? Why is quality going to be helpful to you in your department and your day-to-day -day job? Is that a big part of it? Or how would you characterize what your value is to the people performing the work? So to me, quality has always been the teachers, right? 
I really feel like, you know, quality isn't an enforcer, we're a teacher. We teach based on experience, based on our ability to interpret regulations, based on what we've seen over our career, which in my case spans several decades. And it's really, you know, teaching people what it is that they need to do and why it's really important for them to understand the why. So that's really where you get to the why behind quality is if they understand the why, then they're much more likely to follow the processes in place. Exactly. Exactly. And this isn't quality. This isn't some regulator that wrote this regulation for you to follow. There is a why, right? There's a why behind everything that is a part of regulations, everything that is recommended by worldwide regulatory agencies. There's definitely a why there. And if people don't understand the why, it seems like someone's just trying to cram something down on you, you know, or restrict you or restrict your creativity, so to speak. Exactly. And do you find that you have to change your quality processes from time to time based on how the business changes? Do you have to do a lot of listening and understanding of what's actually happening with how work is being done and use that to change the work instructions or the SOPs that you're following? Is is it two-way street? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, that it's the whole concept of continuous improvement too, right? As you become smarter and technology changes and people change, new ideas get introduced, process changes. And it's important to understand that you don't want to restrict process change based on regulation, but figure out how to make the process work within the regulations. So that really keeps it more of a partnership, right? If you're Right, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned technology there. How does technology kind of impact this whole process of has it made it easier or harder as you add technology into the quality process? I think it's made it both harder and easier. (laughs) I think technology provides sort of simpler ways to protect your data, to protect subjects, to get information quickly that you need to look at, but it also can be scary, right? Software has issues. As we know, if you change something in software, you have to be so sure that you're not disrupting something further down the line and the impact. So I think it's a little bit of both. Definitely. And you talked about how you getting into this industry, into quality, because you're interested in process. So would you say that that's really the goal of quality is to put processes in place rather than policing those processes being followed? It really is making sure that the processes work for the business. It's really about getting people to think in terms of process and to think in terms of what they're doing, right? It's more instilling quality as sort of a part of their being, you know, a part of the culture and understanding of how they do their day-to-day jobs instead of focusing on quality as an organization that's there to police you, right? Quality is everyone's responsibility and the department called quality is just there to help you. So Laura, what would you say to someone who thinks that partnership with quality would not have a large impact or add value? How do you convince them that there is value to really partnering with quality? Probably the best way is, well, certainly, I'm sure in every company, I ran my own consulting company for 10 years, every single company I worked with had examples, right? And so I'm sure this company would have any company you work with has examples that you can show small wins even. But more importantly, I think it's really about give me a shot. 
you know, let me work with you. Let me follow you through this process and show you how it can be done. I always tell people there's no harm in trying. There's no harm in failing if we can fix it. Right. And so give it a shot. I'm not sure a better way to explain that, but examples are usually the best way to show. That makes sense. Absolutely. Do you have any examples of how you've seen this work in the past of being able to show people how this can actually be helpful to them? I do have an example, actually. One of the things I did with a client when when I ran my own consulting company, this client had a number of document deliverables that they were using that were told to them, were required by regulation. And these documents were causing a lot of problems for them, the creation and maintenance of this set of documentation. And so we sat around together in a group and we talked about each document and we put down how much time each document was taking them, you know, from easiest to create to hardest to create. And then we put a tag and ranked them from how useful the document was in terms of rework or performing the same task over again or in the future for maintenance reasons. And what we found was the documents that took the longest to create and were the hardest were the least useful documents. And so I asked them, well, why are you doing it? And they said, well, the regs require it. And I said, no, here's what the reg says. And when I explained it to them, they said, oh, well, that's in this other document here. That's super easy for us. And I'm like, perfect. That's exactly sort of the thought process that you need to go through. And these guys were killing themselves creating this document that they thought was required by regulation. It was not, you know, it never was. Just understanding the why. Why was that document there in the first place? Well, somebody told them they needed it. Okay, why? What was it supporting in terms of regulation? So you're not just a regulation specialist of understanding the regs through and through. You're also a process improvement specialist. Absolutely. Yeah, process improvement is a big part of what we do. The teacher part there is really critical about getting into process and understanding process re-engineering, process improvement, continuous improvement. So what do you say to people who say that if I have a process in place, it's just going to slow me down or it's going to curb my creativity? How do you convince people that a process is actually going to be helpful to them? Probably the easiest way is to start asking questions, right? And just ask questions about the process and how it's worked over time. And I bet inevitably there will be examples of where either the process has helped or not following the process has led to issues, which is usually the case that I have seen in my career. But it's pretty easy to start sort of measuring and putting a baseline in place and then being able to show people well, here, look what happens if this doesn't happen, or look what happens if you do this instead. Working with people, I mean, it's a day-to-day thing. And making them not feel like it's their process, right? It's the company's process. They're not the ones that are to blame if something goes wrong, right? It's it's a company thing, and we're going to figure it out as a team, as a company. So do you think that's how you get to the point where you have a quality culture instead of a quality department, that everyone is considering quality as something that is just part of their day-to-day work? Yeah, you really have to start to shift the focus from a mindset of, oh, this process is holding me down to, wow, with this process, it's so much easier for me to to get it right. And once you get to that point, (laughs) then you, you really have quality as part of your culture, as opposed to people fighting against the current, so to speak. 
So as far as training goes, you mentioned that. How do you make sure that the quality process and, and all the best practices are in place for all the new hires that come on to make sure that you maintain that quality culture as a company grows and changes? That's a great question, Kathleen. <laughs> and it's really interesting, right? Because how do you get new employees sort of integrated into your culture, right? And understand that. And it's really about leadership and making sure that the key people in your organization and leadership positions understand this and can take that to new employees. Obviously, training is important, right? And people should have training and the training should include the whys, right? Why are we doing things? Not just, don't just give them GCP and part 11 and say, go read this, right? Take some time and really either have these leaders in the company or even members of your quality organization, whoever, take the time to really customize this to your organization. Why are we doing this? You know, why did you interpret it this way? How does this fit into my daily job, my day-to-day job? And if you can do that, people will feel so much more comfortable and know that quality is a place they can go for help, not to be punished. It's not about being a police officer or an enforcer ever. (laughs) And so with our mission of trying to get crucial medicines to those who need them faster, do you think that quality can really play a part in moving us forward in that mission? Absolutely. Daily at 4G. I think we've been so successful because we put quality in from the start. One of the things that one of our co-founders, Ed Tortolot, said to me when he said, I have an idea for a new company, he said, I want to put quality in from the start. And so right from the start, we've had a culture of quality where we documented processes in such a way that we are compliant with regulations. We put patient safety first data integrity second, but also have repeatable and defined processes so that people can do their jobs efficiently and repeatedly. So Laura, the idea that quality is the enforcer kind of makes you feel like you can't be creative, that you can't innovate on anything. Do you think that quality actually does support innovation if you have a quality culture? Absolutely, right? If you have a quality culture, it's just having quality as a mindset so that you keep all of those things at the forefront of your brain while you are being innovative, right? So it's like, I want to make sure that I keep patient safety in the forefront of my mind at all times. I want to make sure that I know my client's data is safe at all times, but I need to be really creative about this next idea and solution. And you don't even need quality at that point. If you keep those two things in the front of your mind and understand why those things are important, innovation is helped by that, not hindered. So quality can help you to understand where the guardrails are and what the regulations are going to require. But as you said, there's a lot of gray area in those regulations that they're not that explicit. So it does inherently give you the ability to be flexible. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard so many people say quality makes it so that I can't do what I want. No, you can absolutely do what you want. As long as you do it and make sure that the patient is safe, that the data is safe, you know, you can do whatever you want. This has been so interesting to me, Laura, to hear you talk about this, because I always have thought of quality as an entity that just tells me what I need to do. But thinking of you as a partner, quality as a culture instead of a department really resonates for me. And I hope for our audience as well. 
I truly believe that until we all understand and embrace quality rather than fearing it, the industry can't move forward. And that this is really a key for innovation for us is to understand what those guardrails are, to have you as experts to guide us along the way, and making sure that we're working together towards this common goal. So thank you so much for everything that you've told us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate all the audience members for tuning in as well. And I'd like to invite you to join with us again in the future. So for more quality topics within the life sciences industry, feel free to visit our website at 4gclinical.com and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and or Facebook. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker.